That's it. Yeah, love it. Fired up for you fellas, man. Cool to see you taking courageous steps of faith. If you haven't been baptized like Chris mentioned, uh, man, 24th is your, your best next step. Man, we would love to celebrate with you. This is the Central Family, the hometown crowd. Uh, we'll be uh, fired up to celebrate your, uh, your, your baptism. And it's Chris's birthday. I've heard a rumor of that. Is that true? Chris, hey, if you see Chris, who's up here, man, give him a high five, firm handshake, slap on the back, wish him a happy birthday. Appreciate you, bro. All right, hey, uh, four Gospels. If you're new to studying the Bible, there are four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, what you may not be aware of is the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the first three Gospels, one third of those Gospel accounts document the final seven days of Jesus's life before the cross. When you come to the Gospel of John, half of the Gospel of John documents the final week of Jesus' life here on earth. Uh, Jesus lived over, a little over 33 years, but much of the gospel accounts document, frame for us the, what took place, where Jesus went, what he taught, how he lived, how he, who he interacted with in the final seven days. So how important is it for us to focus some attention there? So for the next two weeks, that's what we're, we're gonna do. Today, we're gonna be looking at what took place on Thursday leading up to the cross. Uh, next week is what is known on the Christian calendar as Palm Sunday. That's where Jesus enters in J Jerusalem. It's a big celebration. We'll be talking about that uh, next uh, Sunday. And then on Good Friday, uh, Friday, April 15th, we're going to be looking at the cross and realizing what Jesus endured for you and for me so we can know God, we can grow in freedom, we can show our purpose and go change the world. Like that's, that's what's all anchored there in the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, we're, gonna, we're, we're trying to provide a, a celebration fit for the occasion. I mean, Easter's a big deal. Like Friday is good for us, terrible for Jesus, but, but it didn't end on the cross. He rose again. And so Easter Sunday, we're, we're fired up to celebrate the resurrection. And, and, and friendly nudge, just as Chris mentioned, 84% uh, of people who, who don't have, have a relationship with God, people who don't attend church, like 84% of them on Easter statistics show would say yes to an Easter, Easter invite. And so how important is it for us to yeah, invite some people we love to connect with their creator and invite someone. Then on uh, Sunday, April 24th, uh, we're going to be studying uh, a series. We launched a new series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And uh, many of you know, man, the mind is where the battle is won or the battle is lost. Uh, your life today, wherever you are, no matter what your, what your belief system is, whether you believe in Jesus or you're just here because someone drug you here, uh, wherever you are, your life is always heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so if you want to change your life, it's incumbent upon us to, to examine our thoughts. And so we're going to be, be looking at that. The Bible says we can take every thought captive. How do we do that? What does that even mean? And that'll be kicking off April 24th. That will carry us through Mother's Day. And then following Mother's Day, we're going to kick off a study through the book of Exodus and learning how God has always led his people to freedom. It's going to be a great time. So uh, that's kind of where we're going uh, as a church. That's what we'll be teaching through and studying through. So if you want to start looking at the book of Exodus, that would be be a great time for that. Well, hey, today we want to focus on, uh, on, on a table conversation. Uh, what, what took place? A lot of things took place on the Thursday before Jesus went to the cross. One thing that he did, he celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples. So I thought about reaching back to the Exodus and, and talking to us today about the significance of Passover and, and gleaning from that. But 
Uh, I didn't want to go that direction. And I also thought about maybe talking about the Garden of Gethsemane because after this, this last supper, after this, this dinner with his disciples celebrating the Passover feast, he went a few hundred yards outside of Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. It sits at the foot of the Mount of Olives and, and Gethsemane literally means an olive press. It, it's, it's there that Jesus would ultimately make the decision to say yes to God's plan to go to the cross and a lot of pressure. Um, and I know a lot of you deal with a lot of pressure. And I thought about talking to you about how Jesus navigated that and, and how we too can navigate seasons of pressure and strain. Uh, but, but what stood out to me was this Last Supper. Uh, it might be interesting for you to know that, that half of the Gospel of John documents the last seven days. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. Five of those chapters document what took place at the Last Supper. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 all record for us this dinner conversation that Jesus has with his disciples at the Last Supper. And I, maybe I'm just drawn to it because your boy likes to eat. I, I love to eat and I love not just eating. Uh, if I get a window of opportunity to watch a TV show, I'm probably watching like diners, drive-ins and dives, hoping to discover a diamond in the rough that we can, we can go eat and, and explore. But beyond that, I, I enjoy the conversation around meals. I think there's something transformative about that. There's something that connects us to the people that we're sharing the meal with. And, and I think Jesus obviously knew that. And so he has this transformative conversation with his disciples at what we know as, as the Last Supper. And so uh, I wanna talk to you uh, about that. And, and here's an interesting question. If Jesus were to have dinner with you, if he were to go to uh, one of your favorite Triple D spots, your favorite restaurant and have dinner with you, what would he talk about? Well, what, what might he say to you? My hunch is that he would say to you what he said to the disciples at the Last Supper. Somehow he would navigate the conversation to those very topics because here's the reality. You're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. And he leaves with the disciples these, this teaching that he wants to be embedded in their mind. I mean, this is literally hours before he goes to the cross. And as he's hanging on the cross, he wants them to remember this Last Supper. He wants to remember this transformative meal and the teachings that he, he brought to them. And so we're going to look at, at the five chapters that document the Last Supper and pull out five principles, five conversation topics that Jesus would want to share with you. Uh, if you have notes, I hope you do. I hope you can follow along with these and take some notes. Uh, I've, I've outlined in here some table questions. Uh, I would invite you to take notes and then leave your notes on the, the dining room table, wherever you eat with your family. If you, if you don't eat with your family, but you eat with some buddies, then put it in like your, your work bag, pull it up, put it in your pocket. But, but ask some of these table conversations this week. I think it'll, it'll be a blessing to you. It'll help you and it will, will challenge you. So here's, here's the first thing. Number one, if you're taking notes, this is where we begin. I think if Jesus were to have dinner with you and I, somehow he would navigate the conversation to say something like this. Just a reminder, your highest calling in life is to serve others. Your highest calling in life is to serve others. Let's look at it in John chapter 13, beginning in verse one. It reads this, it says, it was just after the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, how did he do that? The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now, let me just pause right there, look at that. Judas, one of Jesus' closest friends, has been following him. One of the 12, been following him for, for three years at this point. It, it says, but the devil prompted Judas. In other words, like the devil planted a thought in Judas's mind 
And Judas had the opportunity to act on that thought or to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. But Judas doesn't. He, and I would just submit to you that the, the enemy of your soul is always prompting you. He's planting seeds in your mind. He's trying to lead you astray. The Bible says this, Jesus said, so that when you're the devil, when he, your enemy, when he speaks, he's a liar and he's the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks his native language. He'll feed you lies that appeal to be true. And, and the challenge is there's usually one hint of truth in it. So it's very believable. But when we bite on that, it suffocates our soul and leads us astray. Judas was prompted. He wasn't possessed. Like the devil didn't take his feet and say, Judas, do this. No, it was like, hey, Judas, been following Jesus three years. How's that working out for you? You don't have a house. You don't have anything to your name. Judas, what, you oversee the finances here. Like what, Judas, I got a solution. But let's, I got a way you can get rich quick. Prompted Judas. Judas acted on it. And for some of you who know the story, you know how that ended for him. But, but even in this, this, this narrative, that's why I'm so excited for the series kicking off after Easter, because for Judas, the battle was won or lost in his mind. The same is true for, for you. Verse three, uh, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet drying in them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now this was, would have been flabbergasting to the disciples. This would have been shocking to them. In, in this culture, the, the lowest servant, this would have been their job. The, the, the lowest man on the totem pole, like the lowest slave would have had this responsibility of, of washing feet. They would have like, they walked around in basically Birkenstocks at best throughout the day and through the, the streets of Jerusalem would have got dirt and grime and, and, and animal stuff on their feet. And, and so not a very pleasant job. So the lowest servant would have, this would have been the responsibility, but Jesus is meeting with his disciples in a borrowed upper room. So there's no servant available to do that. So by cultural default, it would have landed on the youngest man around the table's responsibility to do this, to serve the other disciples in this way. Well, the disciples are too caught up in who's gonna be at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. They're too caught up in their position, in their, 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 their prowess, in their, their prestige. And so no one does it. And Jesus recognizes this. So what does he do? He steps in and he does what they should have done. And the disciples, they didn't really understand this so much so that Peter, he's like, no, no, no. Like Jesus, you and I are tight, but you're not washing my feet. And Jesus is like, Peter, if you don't let me get this close to you, if you don't let me serve you in this way, then you can have nothing to do with me. And in typical Peter fashion, he's like, Jesus, wash my feet, wash my hands, wash my hair, wash my body, wash whatever you want. I want all of you. And so that's what Jesus does. But the, he washes his feet. Uh, <laughs> not everything. Um, but the disciples, they didn't understand what, what Jesus was doing. So that's where our table talk begins in chapter 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his towel on and, and, and around his clothes and, and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. And Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Check this out, verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's saying like, hey, you, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, you call me your master, and that's right. And so if I've served you in this way, how much more should you serve those around you? Is a servant greater than his master? Like, no, 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 no. So if Jesus serves us in that way, he'd say, hey, you, you serve other people. Now check this out in verse 17. Now, and I love this verse, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Every time you read the Bible, that verse is true. Now that we, we would, here's the last thing that you and I need. We, last thing you need is another church service. What we need is a fresh encounter with Jesus. What we need is say, God, what does your word say? And then we need to go out of here and like live it out. Like you'll be blessed if you do that. Like, like we need each other. We need this gathering, but more, more than anything, we just need to do what Jesus is, he's modeled for us. Like that is, that is Christianity. Just knowing Jesus and, and following what he did. Your highest calling is to serve others. If Jesus sat down, he would navigate the conversation that direction. And I think he might just ask, how are you doing in that area? In your life, how are you doing living as, as a servant? He might remind us of Matthew 20, 25 through 28. He says this, you know, the rulers of the Gentile, they lord it over them. Like, you know how those, some CEOs operate. You know how some, some of those people operate in our, our, our culture. He says their, their high ranking officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How are you doing in that area? Jesus, Jesus knows like, hey, this is countercultural, but he also knows like this is the way you come alive in Christ. The way you come alive in Christ is to align your life with Christ, to live like Jesus lived. In those moments, that's where you experience the abundant life. That's where you experience the blessed life. And so, how you doing? John 13, 17, again. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You say, what does that look like? What does that even mean, like to serve other people? Here's a simple definition. If you're taking notes, this is, this is in there as well. Simply find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. How do you serve others? You find a need and you fill it. You find a hurt and try to heal it. Here's the table quote. You might say, well, I don't even know. Where, where do I begin with that? Well, Chris just mentioned there's like 12 things on this card if you want to serve. Like Easter's a great spot. Uh, you might have some other things that come to your mind. That's awesome. But, but man, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to serve and serving simply finding a need and filling it, finding a hurt and healing it. Here's the table question. We'd love for you to ask yourself, uh, ask your family, ask people you love, ask your small group. Ask this question, what can I do this week to intentionally serve someone else? How can you intentionally serve someone else? I think if Jesus, he's having dinner with us, somehow he's navigating the conversation to that end. Second thing, I think he might encourage. So that's John chapter 13. Now we're gonna slide over to John chapter 14. And Jesus would remind us that when earth gets hard, focus on heaven. When earth gets hard, focus on heaven. Uh, when we come to John chapter 14, the disciples, he looks around the table and their, their face are starting to look discouraged. Uh, partly because he just showed them up. Like they should have been the ones washing their feet. Like here's their, their teacher did it. Their master did it. Now it's like, ah, oh, we let you down. Uh, but more than that, Jesus keeps talking about his death. Keeps talking about going to the cross. Keeps talking about giving up, the Romans executing him. And they're like, what are you? That's not the plan, Jesus. Like, we have plans and you're not in line with the plan. 
Like, I don't know if you can relate to that in your relationship with Jesus. Like, Jesus, I got plans of how this should play out and this isn't in the plan. And that's where the disciples are. Their faiths are starting to look a little downcast. And so here's what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Chapter 14, verse one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in, in me. There's a lot of stuff that can get our hearts troubled, right? For the disciples, it was Jesus is supposed to take over Rome. Like they're supposed to be executives. They're supposed to sit around the table making, conver- making decisions with him. And, and that, it wasn't going to happen. And it was troubling their heart. And some of you, man, I know some of you are going through some hard stuff. You got the doctor's report and it's troubling. You see the gas prices, you see inflation. You're like, how far is my dollar going to go? It's troubling. We see the news. We see what's happening in the world around us. Like there's some very troubling troubling things, but Jesus steps into the troubled areas of their life and yours. And it doesn't bring immediate solutions, temporary solutions. He brings heavenly solutions. I think he'd emphasize to us that when life gets hard, you you focus on heaven. Check it out. John chapter 14, verses two through three. He he doesn't say, hey, don't worry about the Romans. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to go to the cross, but here's, I'm going to save humanity in the process. He says, no, 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 just trust in God, trust also in me. Let me tell you about my father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. When life gets hard, focus on heaven. Oftentimes, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I have a wrong view of God and a wrong view of the world. Sometimes we can feel like God has an obligation to come through for us in areas of our life that we think he should. And sometimes whenever God doesn't respond the way that I think he should, it can take me sideways. But, but, but Jesus made this promise that in this world, you will have trouble. But what does he say? You can take heart. Why? Because I've overcome I've overcome the world. When life gets hard, we can focus on, on heaven. If we're honest, like in the midst of life's difficulties, we got a pretty great version of life here. Like, like you live in the Bay Area. Like I couldn't necessarily say this online service, but, but you live in San Jose. Like this place is awesome. Like you can travel like 30 minutes, you're at the beach. You can travel, you can go snow skiing, snowboarding and surfing all in the same day. You can play golf 20, 12 months out of the year. Like flowers are in bloom every season here. In the, like this is awesome. I think it's awesome. You're right. Thanks, Joel. But, but, but even in the midst of how awesome the Bay Area is, um, uh, there's some hard realities of life and I'm not ignorant to that. And some of you are in the middle of that and I'm not ignorant to that either. But, but I want to encourage you with this. If you know God, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. It only gets better. If you're a follower of Jesus, this, is as clo- this experience on earth is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. It only gets better. The flip side of that coin is also true. If you do not know Jesus, earth is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. It only gets worse. That should be a sobering reminder for everyone here, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. If you are a follower of Jesus, though, you got hope. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. 
disciples discouraged in my father's house. Let me tell you about it. It's awesome. Now, let me say this. Like, I don't say that to say, like, whenever you're in a jam, like, if you need healing, let's believe for healing. If your, your marriage is falling apart, let's, let's work towards restoration. If you're in a financial jam, like, let's, let's talk about, let's figure that out. Let's pray for miraculous provision. I, I believe God is still in the miracle working business. I believe all of that. But, but think about this. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, eventually dies. The, the 12 lepers that Jesus touches, it heals, delivers them miraculously. Eventually, eventually they die. I'm just saying it's going to come to all of us. And so let's anchor our hope, not in the things of this life, but in things for the next life. That's what, that's what Jesus encouraged us to do. And so at night, you can go to bed with your head on the pillow, knowing that, hey, this is the closest thing to hell you're ever going to experience. On your worst day, this is as bad as it gets. It only gets better. And besides this life, it's a vapor. Here's the table conversation. Here's the question. We'd love for you to consider. We'd love for you to ask your family for you to wrestle with. Who needs my encouragement? Who do you need to encourage this week? Maybe you could shoot them a text. Maybe send them a voice memo. Uh, maybe you could write them a letter. Like these are kind of old fashioned, but I got this letter from one of our fifth graders. Um, she wrote me a letter and, uh, and a simple letter. It was probably a school assignment, let's be honest. Uh, but I don't care. I've kept this puppy on my desk for over a week now. And whenever I, I get described, I'm like, hey, I got a fifth grader that says she's praying for me and I'm believing for breakthrough in that area of my life, right? Like, it's encouraging. It's encouraging. Yeah. And you can do that. We can all do that, right? Yeah. That's within all of our abilities to do. So who, who needs your encouragement? You say, well, how do I encourage them? Well, encourage them like the old timers did. They remind, they remind each other, this, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They would remind each other that when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it'll be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout for victory. That they would pray for breakthrough. They would pray for the miraculous right here and now. But if he did or if he didn't, their hope was set on heaven. Encourage each other like the apostle Paul. How did Paul, we'd say this in Philippians, a man in prison, a man unjustly tried, a man in prison for four years, about to appear before Nero, like likely to have his life taken away from him. But in the midst of those circumstances, he has joy. He's a man of contentment. How did he live from that posture? Remember in Philippians 1.27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In the midst of trials, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of, of minor aches and pains, in the midst of the doctor's reports, in the midst of uh, what the stock market says, remember Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. When life gets hard, remember heaven, encourage people in that way, encourage people like Jesus did in my father's house or many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back to take you with me so you can be where I am. Anchor yourself there, anchor our focus there. There's hope, there's joy for any trial you face in this life. We're still at the table, still at the last supper. Jesus has talked to us in John 13. He's talked to us in, in John 14. Now, now, now he, he, he turns the corner here in John 15 and we're still at the dinner conversation. I think you would navigate it somewhere to say something like this. When we all, we can do more together than we can apart. 
I think he'd remind us we can do more together than we can apart. Uh, Jesus knows there's something inside of us that wants to go do our own thing. Like all of us have a little bit of a rebel streak in us. Uh, all of us say, yeah, Jesus, I know your word says this, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm feeling this today. And he just wants to remind us that, that we can do more together than we can apart. And he talks about that in John chapter 15. Uh, look at it here in verse four through five. He says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Like you can't do it in and of yourself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much, much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, hey, we're, we're just better together. Stay connected, stay connected with me. And let, let that be an encouragement. Let that be a, 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 some advice for us to take. Hey, stay connected to Jesus, church. Like stay connected, like seek. I'm, I'm super pumped you're here. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, stay connected to Jesus. Lean into his word, talk to him about life, process life with him. You'll do more with him than you can ever do on your own. Set your aim in life to become more, more like him. It makes all the difference. Uh, John 15 verse eight says, this is to my father's glory. Like, like God gets glory when you bear much fruit. Matter of fact, that's how we show ourselves to be his disciples. If you're taking notes, here's, a, here's another line you might want to write down. We is always better than me. We is always better than me. So keep your commitments. Keep your commitment to Jesus. Keep your commitment to the local church. Keep your commitment to your spouse, to your family. We is always better than me. And so here's the table question. Just a great question to ask. What's my part? We, not one person can do everything, but all of us can do something. So the question is, what, what's my part? What, what part do I have to play? In the big picture of life, in the kingdom of God, your life is kind of like a puzzle piece. Like as you look at the puzzle pieces, like it's, they're all unique. They're all you different. And you're, you're different. Like you have not just in a weird sense, but like you have gifts, you have talents, you have natural abilities that, that are uniquely you. God's uniquely placed you. Like think about this. Out of everyone who's ever lived in the history of humanity, God chose you for this time, this space, and this place. It's unique to you. And just as a, if a puzzle piece just sits on the table, doesn't get plugged in, then the picture's never complete. The same is true for us as a church. The same is true, true for the kingdom. Like unless you get plugged in, unless you de deploy, unless you show your purpose, that the picture is never, never complete. God calls us to serve. God calls us to discover our purpose. God calls us to, to show our purpose. So a good, good question is what's, what's my part? Here's the reality. When we all do a little together, we can do a lot. We all do a little together, we can do a lot. So here's some, some exciting things that have happened. Just wanna share with you because we've all done a little. Together, we're doing a whole lot. I got a message from Connie Nepper in Tanzania, East Africa. I don't know if you've ever been to East Africa. I don't know if you ever thought of Tanzania, East Africa. Um, but, but here's the reality. She sent a message because of your Give Hope offering. She says, thanks to the Central family, the cafe is up and running. The cafe is not just, yeah, it's awesome. That's worth celebrating. I like it. Yeah, we can clap. We like clapping. Clapping's good. So the cafe's up and running. The cafe isn't just feeding the community physically, but also spiritually. The neighbors are curious what's going on. Worship on the TVs, tables and chairs outside. Yummy African cuisine is served, and it's a safe place to ask questions about your faith. Thank you, Central Christian Church family. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Now, 
I couldn't launch a cafe in Tanzania. You, you probably couldn't launch a cafe in Tanzania. But, but when we, everyone does a little, together we can do a whole lot. I thought I'd bring you an update on Ukraine too. I know you guys have been seeing the news. You've heard what's happening over there. And we just put out an ask, say, hey, can, can we step into the gap? What can we do? We, we decided to partner with Convoy of Hope, who is getting resources, so food, um, medical supplies, they're, they're getting uh, work supplies over there in partnership with Delta Airlines and Virgin Airlines. And, uh, and they said, said hey, uh, $20,000 can provide a whole shipping container of supplies that are needed there. And that, that would service tens of thousands of people. And so we, we asked you, hey, what, what do you think we could do? And, and I certainly didn't do everything, but Tiffany and I, we did our part. And, and some of you, you, you did you did your part. And so together we were able to provide not just one shipping container, but with $33,310, we were able to provide one and a half shipping containers, literally servicing tens of thousands of people in Poland and Ukraine. I'm just saying the church is well represented over there. That's you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. Now that's not everyone. There's, there's more people to serve, but, but we're just trying to do our part as the central Christian church family in the kingdom Central Christian Church has a role to play. We're a puzzle piece. Within Central Christian Church, you're a puzzle piece. We have a, we have a role to play, and we're just trying to, to do our part. When we all do a little together, we can do a whole lot. So, so at the dinner conversation, we're still there, like we're starting to get some crumbs and stains on our shirts at this point. Jesus has talked to us about serving. He's talked to us about encouraging. He's talked to us about producing. And then in John, most of John chapter 14, some of John chapter 15 and most of John chapter 16, Jesus would talk to you a whole lot about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, the need for the Holy Spirit in your life. He would navigate the conversation, the fourth point to something like this. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit within you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit within you. Here it is in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. It says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and will be with you forever, like forever. Never gonna leave you. The spirit of truth is what he calls him here. The world cannot accept him. And let's just pause there and be like, don't be surprised when you're talking to some people at the ballpark and they believe in spiritual energy, but you start talking about the Holy Spirit and they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> like the world, it, Jesus said the world can't accept him. Like, so they can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And he lives with you and he will be in you. For some of you here, you know the Holy Spirit's been with you. You know the Holy Spirit's been, been guiding your life. The Holy Spirit's been drawing you to himself. The, the Holy Spirit's been orchestrating your steps so that you land of all places in a church today. Because the Holy Spirit's been with you, but, but the whole, God's desire is not just for the Holy Spirit to be with you, but for the, God's Holy Spirit to be inside of you, to take up residency in you, to, to, to walk with you, to talk with you, like to do life with you. Like that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's the advocate. He to take up your cause. How does that take place? Listen, when you give God your life, he puts his life in you. That takes place when we, when we surrender our life to him, say, Jesus, here's my life. He says, okay, I, I, I can do something with that. Let me give you my life. He puts his life in you. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite quotes says this, deity indwelling flesh, that I say is Christianity. And no man has experienced rightly the power of the Christian belief until he has known this for himself as a living reality. Deity indwelling flesh, 
That is Christianity. We, we, can, we can line up Christianity, we can say a whole lot about it, but hey, at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit taking residence in you, changing you, empowering you to do what you could never do on your own. Deity indwelling flesh. That's what Jesus says. So he talks so much about it because he knows the disciples, they must have the Holy Spirit's power in their life if they're going to accomplish all that he has for them to do. Uh, he talks about in John 16, one, he says, says I, I've told you these things. Like, like the Holy Spirit, like having the Holy Spirit active in your life is key to your success. Jesus says this, I've told you all these things so that you will not fall away. The, in our, our English, it's two words, fall away. In, in the Greek, it's, it's one word, it's scandalizo. Uh, we get our, our English word scandal from this, this Greek word. So he's saying, hey, I've told you these things. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It'll prevent your life from scandal. It'll keep you from going down a path that will lead to a wake of destruction behind you. When, when the, the, the enemy comes and he prompts you like he did Judas, the Holy Spirit will be there to say like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't send that text. Delete, 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 delete. Let's not, let's not send that email. Let's sit on that for 20, 24 hours and we'll come back. We'll visit it. it, it it'll lead you from not swiping right. It'll, it'll, the Holy Spirit will prompt you to not, not do things that will bring harm to your life. It'll avoid scandal. It'll keep you from falling away. Then John 16, verses 8, and then John 16, verse 13 says, says, and he will come. When he comes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. Now, God, the Holy Spirit's conviction is different than condemnation. Like conviction is saying, hey, if you go that way, it's going to, it's going to hurt you. I got a better way. Condemnation is what the enemy wants to do to you. And that's to keep you on the ground, keeps you beat up so that you will do nothing with this one very precious life that you have. The enemy brings condemnation. Holy Spirit brings Conviction. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you. I love that. He'll guide you into all truth. When you read the Bible, like he'll, he'll talk to you about it. He, he will not speak on his own, but he'll tell you what, what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. Like he'll, he'll tell you things that are revealed. He'll talk to you about some stuff that, that you just don't know anything about yet. He'll talk to you about the future. Here's the next fill in the blank. Some of you might be thinking, well, I'd never hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Here's a thought. The Holy Spirit's voice is only as loud as my willingness to listen. As I listen and, I, and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice gets louder. The more I suppress it, the quieter the voice of the Holy Spirit gets. A couple of reasons why you might not be here. If you just say, hey, I'm not hearing from the Holy Spirit like I think I should. Here's a couple of thoughts. One, uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to people that are followers of Jesus. Like, so if you're not yet a Christian, that, that's, that's maybe an obvious one why you're not hearing from, from God because you're not in relationship with God. But that can all change today. But if you are a follower of Jesus, here's, here's perhaps why you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. Number one, uh, some of you maybe have too many competing voices. Uh, we, we hear so many different voices, the, the voices we can, we can amplify voices in our life and we can silence some voices in our life. And some, for some of us, myself included, sometimes I just have too many voices battling in my mind and I just need to clear my head and, and hear from the Holy Spirit. Second could be the pace of life. This is a real challenge for many of us here in the Bay Area is we just run at a fast clip. And so if, if your pace of life is, I mean, some of you, you have a hard time hearing the people standing right in front of you, uh, much less the Holy Spirit talking to you. And so a great next step is to say, today, just take 30 minutes, maybe get outside, maybe get by yourself somewhere and 30 minutes to say, I'm here, like Holy Spirit speak to me. 
I'm going to set aside the voice. I'm going to slow down my pace. The third possibility is maybe we haven't heard from the Holy Spirit because we haven't done what he's already told you to do. Like for some, we talked about baptism. Baptism, like it is your best next step. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you haven't been baptized, like the voice of the Holy Spirit will probably be very quiet until you take that step. So here's a good question. What's, what's the last thing God said to you? And then did you do it? And if not, then go back to that spot and do what he asked you to do and see how that amplifies the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Every time we take action, what he's already told us to do, the voice of the Holy Spirit gets a little louder. This is one of my favorite questions. Uh, I've asked the staff this. I asked, uh, it's one of my favorite questions. I ask, it's a very intimate question. It's a very personal question. It gets a little bit in your Cheerios, uh, but it's a great question to ask. I encourage you to ask your family this, ask your small group this. What's the Holy Spirit been trying to say to me? And what am I doing about it? In a season, for a season of my life, I set a reminder every day at 4 p.m. with this question in my calendar. And I would just try to answer that question. It just boils, it cuts through the noise. What's, if the Holy Spirit's not talking to me and I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm in relationship with him, then there's something wrong with my spiritual relationship with Jesus. So all of us, when asked, what's the Holy Spirit been saying to you? My hope is that all of us have an answer because he's trying to speak. Here's what we need to know. God does not have a speaking problem. We have a hearing problem. And so let's slow down our pace. Let's, let's, let's clear the voices. Let's be obedient on what he's asked us to do and, and amplify his, his voice. God is always speaking. So we're still at the dinner table. It's still the, the last supper. He's still celebrating the Passover meal. There's still, Jesus is still teaching us here. He's talked to us about serving. He's talked to us about encouraging. He's talked to us about producing. He's talked to us about the Holy Spirit. And then the final thing that he would talk to you about, number five, pray about everything. Pray about everything. We're reclining at the table. Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden he busts into prayer. John 17, verse one. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father... The hours come. And then all of John chapter 17 documents his prayer with the disciples in the room at the Last Supper. It's a beautiful prayer. You want to know God's heart for you? You want to know God's heart for your church? Read John chapter 17. It's his prayer. Jesus was always praying. And this is interesting to me because it's like, is Jesus God, right? It's like, why does God need to pray to God? But you remember in Philippians that Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he emptied himself of his divine privileges. And he took on the, the, the nature of a servant. He became a man to serve you, to serve me. And so, so he says, I do, he says statements like, I, do, I can do nothing except what I hear the father doing. He's always talking to the father saying, God, what do you think about this? Father, I'm, I'm thinking about this. What do you say? God, I'm processing this decision, but, but I don't want to get out of step with you. So what do you think? He prayed about everything. He set an example for us to follow that we should do the same. We serve as he served. We encourage as he encouraged. We live a life that produces fruit. Matter of fact, Jesus says, you'll do even greater things than these. We live a life that's connected to the Holy Spirit, listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We live a life of prayer. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more should you and I? Prayer needs to be our first response instead of our last resort.
you know that, I know that, but how many times have we gotten to a spot in life where we say, well, I don't know what else to do besides pray. But what if prayer was our first response instead of our last resort? We just tend to forget that. But remember Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And if you do that, then you'll get what you want and the peace of God, which we all want in the midst of turbulent times, what's supernatural peace? If we do that, in every situation we pray, we bring petitions, we bring thanksgiving, we present a request to God. And the promise is then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I just ask, I think Jesus would ask you if he was having dinner with you, what burdens are you carrying? What do you need to offload and let God carry? Here's the table question. What do I need to give to God in prayer? What do you need to give to God in prayer today? And this is one that we're gonna put into practice right now. And then we're gonna to move to a time of communion. It would be wrong for us to talk about the last supper and not celebrate communion. But I wanna just ask you right now, as you go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to think about that question. What do you need to give to God in prayer today? What do you need to give to God? What have you carried in here that is not your burden to carry? If you're like me, I can cling to things. I can be a bit of a control freak. And so I can often live life with clenched fists saying, I gotta figure this out. I gotta stay up late. I gotta work on this. I gotta, I gotta control, I gotta figure this out. I thought today it would be appropriate for us just to open our hands here in the presence of the Lord. And I want you to bring to your mind, whatever that thing is, that burden that you're carrying. And you know, it's not yours to carry. Unless you can fix the problem, it's not your burden to carry. So I want you to visualize whatever burden that is in your hands right now. I wanna invite you to visualize laying that down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weak and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon me, like team up with me and you'll find rest for your souls. So God, today here in your presence, we, your church, come to you with some heavy burdens and you invite us to cast them at your feet, to cast all of our anxieties on you because you care for us. So God represented in this room, you see all the burdens. And oh God, I pray you'd move those burdens, God, that you'd move the mountains in this place. God, where people need healing, oh God, would you reach forth your hand and heal people. God, where marriages are broken, Jesus, would you do a great restoration work. God, where dreams have been shattered, God, would you give us the courage to move forward or to pivot to pursue your dreams, God, as you direct our steps. God, where people may be sensing like life's falling apart around me. God, would you rebuild what maybe has been broken? God, would you free people from addiction? You are the great chain breaker. God, there's nothing impossible for you. So here in your presence, oh God, we lay our life, we lay our burdens here at your feet because God, we know you are good and you do good. 
and we trust it into your capable hands. As you continue in a posture of prayer with your heads bowed and eyes closed, this is a good opportunity for us just to take a spiritual inventory. How, how are you doing in your relationship with Jesus? For some of you, you, you knew Jesus at one time and you heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and you were walking together through life but you, you've gone your own way and, and somehow, some way, God has orchestrated your path back here so that you can recommit your life to Him. For others of you, you're in this place and you would consider yourself perhaps a spiritual person, but the reality is that you cannot have a relationship with God who created the universe except through His Son, Jesus. And so today for you, maybe you're at a place where you say, I need to go all in with Jesus. I've had some questions, I, 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 I've gotten some answers, I still have some questions, but I'm, I'm at the place where I think I can take a step. And your best next step is to surrender your life to Him. And here's the beautiful thing about that moment, when you surrender your life to Jesus, He gives His life to you. His righteousness becomes your righteousness. His purity becomes your purity. Your shame, He cloaks in healing but it will cost you your life. Jesus said that if you wanna have a relationship with him, it requires repentance. That simply means a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction. And so if you're at this place, you say, I wanna, I wanna, I'm changing my mind. I was doing things my own way. I'm gonna align my life with God's purposes. I'm gonna change my direction. I was living for myself. Now, God, whatever you want from me, I'm all in. If that's where you are, I invite you to connect with God in prayer. Just talk to him, that's simply what it means. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like you're gonna make him the leader of your life, and you believe in the heart, your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. That can take place right here, right now. So if that's where you are, I invite you to reach out to God, to talk to him, say a prayer, something like this. Say, God, I believe that Jesus, you are God. And Jesus, I believe that your death on the cross paid the penalty for my sins, my mistakes and my shame. And Jesus, I believe that you didn't just die on the cross, but I believe you rose again. And because of that reality today, Jesus, I give you my life. And I'm asking you to give your life to me and live inside of me. Give me the gift of eternal life. And help me to face some of the challenges I'm up against. As you continue to pray, if that was your prayer, I'd love to, to pray with you. Would you just slip up your hands so I show me who I'm praying for, reach out to God. Show God you mean business. Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Well, Jesus, you see those reaching out to you. I pray in this moment, God, that you would lift the burden of sin from their shoulders. That God, you would fill them with your spirit that they would know that they've been set free from condemnation that they can stand before the courts of heaven, justified, forgiven, that God, you would wash their mind from a guilty conscience by the power of your word. Yeah, God, we just thank you for your radical grace and your rescuing power today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, that's awesome. We're celebrating with you guys, tremendous. Well, hey, uh, we would love to connect with you if that was your your commitment to Jesus today. We have some resources we think can be a 
catalyst on your spiritual journey. Uh, so you can text us at 408-944-5402 or fill out that connection card. Just let us know. Either way, we'd love to, we're not going to hound you. We just want to come alongside you, help however we can. And, uh, and hey, at the end of the day, that's why we exist, to help people find and follow Jesus. So we're excited for the journey that you're on. Let's give it up one more time for those people embarking on that spiritual journey.